And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Good Tuesday morning, and uh, welcome to Connecting the Dots. And uh, we're going to have fun today because uh, we've got a great, uh, a great couple of guests, and both of them are really exceptional gentlemen, exceptional Christian men. Uh, incidentally, uh, Mark, we, Mark Sutherland, and I had a chance to spend uh, three days together uh, just recently. Excuse me, at the Red Pill Expo, and uh, Mark, I have to tell you, my wife was impressed with uh, what a witty and uh, personable individual you are. She uh, she made the comment. She says, "Boy, he is quick," <laughs> because we were having all these discussions, and people would bring up some really bizarre things, and your responses to them were. Uh, really quite exceptional. So anyway, we, we had a lot of fun at that event. As you know, we had, I, I hadn't seen you in person in what, five or six years. I think uh, Laura Lee's event up in um, uh, Whitefish was the last time I'd seen you in person, but we, we've we had a lot of time on air together, but uh, it's always much better to be there in person talking to our friends because we are in a mess right now. It's like uh, uh, badass Uncle Sam said, uh, Michael Zabari said, we need to stand up and be counted because if we don't do it now, there's not gonna be a lot of other opportunities to do that. And joining us from Canada, and he was down in the US uh, for, I don't know, three weeks, something like that, two or three weeks. He was vacationing down here with his wife. But uh, Carl Pikerip is uh, going to give us a firsthand uh, discussion about what happened at Burning Man. And uh, I have to say, if there's ever an appropriate name for something, an event like that, I would have to say it is Burning Man because, boy, we're going to burn in hell if we keep acting like a bunch of damn nitwits. So <laughs> with that, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll start, I guess, uh, with you, Carl, because we haven't had you on in a while. And uh, we want you to tell us about what happened at the Burning Man. 
Hey, Dan, it's good to see you again. And uh, yes, I had the opportunity of spending some time in your country. Uh, I was down in the U.S. for a solid month and oh, uh, tra traveling from uh, my home province of Manitoba uh, through through to Chicago, spending a week at Chicago with Mark, hanging out with Mark. Um, I know that he had just come back from a, a conference with yourself, and so he was excited to to share uh, some of that with with myself, and uh, and then I dragged him into the heart of what Mark described as uh, as the Death Star, uh, the Parliament of World Religions, <laughs> and after that was done, I, I ended up traveling down to Indianapolis to to visit some friends for a few days before doing the long drive up to Bend, Oregon, speaking at the Berean Call Conference. And then after that was uh, was complete, it was uh, to go into the dust and the mud of Burning Man. And uh, I was there for 10 days at Burning Man. Wow. I, that would be tough. I, I've never been there. <clears throat> I, I am really looking forward to the discussion because I, I know there's uh, mixed feelings about how uh, diabolically evil Burning Man is. Uh, I know there's some good people go there as well, some really bad people, but <laughs> usually the good people are there for obvious reasons to find out what the opposition is all about. Um, I, I put on my newsletter, I put a picture of the two Burning Men in an embrace and, uh, I thought that was appropriate for uh, for the program, for the newsletter. Tell us a little bit about Burning Man and how uh, how that whole idea came into being and uh, what a kind of a, it, it's, it's almost turned into like a new age uh, cult reunion or something, as far as I can tell. But you tell me. Sure. Well, I've been to four four burns. Uh, I engaged quite a bit in the virtual burns in 2020 and 2021, and I've been to regionals and then to, to other associated uh, events. What it is, is, and, and there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of, uh, a lot of rumors about what it is. Uh, and, and all of it is true. And yet uh, it's also not, there's, there's more that than, you know, more than meets the eye. Uh, yes, it's a big party. Absolutely. Uh, people are coming for the party. Uh, yes, there are, there are sexual and sensual encounters that you can engage in. It's all there. Yes. It's new age. Yes. It's secular. Yes. It's mystical. It blends all of this. And, and that's one of the things that makes, Burning Man as an event quite unique. It's an umbrella that enables uh, many many different events to take place at the same time. So uh, I'm going to hold up the the where what when guide for this year. So when you enter the city, you're given a guide. It's a book. Uh, this is about 100 and what is it? 190 pages long, roughly, of events you can participate in. Anything from from the silly to the sensual to the serious, uh, you can engage in workshops on cryptocurrency, on governance issues. Uh, if it hadn't been rained out, I was planning to attend a workshop hosted by a young leader from the World Economic Forum on uh, a future celebration of what 2030 should look like. Uh, we were there uh, attending workshops and, and panel discussions on uh, psychedelics. Uh, 
uh, on the integration of psychedelics with, within culture, within spirituality. One of the workshops we attended was entitled Jesus and Psychedelics, and it was how uh, we can justify our Christian use of psychedelics and need to, to use psychedelics as a way of feeling agape love, feeling Jesus, feeling what scripture talks about. So that was very interesting because in the mix were um, ministers, both past and present, and uh, and a lot of individuals who claim to be Christian and are looking to use uh, ketamine or MDMA, ecstasy, LSD as a gateway to find a more full spiritual Christian experience. And what's interesting with that, Dan, is it runs hand in hand with what we were hearing at the parliament as we attended a workshop on the integration of psychedelics within seminaries and Christian institutions. And so at the parliament, there was this institutional side to the, to the question. And while, while we were at Burning Man, it was the uh, justification of it at a personal level. So a very interesting uh, glimpse into the trajectory that we're going to be seeing in terms of, of the next round of, of spiritual evolution or so-called spiritual transformation or spiritual evolution. So Burning Man has been around since 1986. Uh, it started off simply with Larry Harvey and some friends banging together an effigy of a man on Baker Beach in San Francisco, having some beers, throwing some gas on it, lighting it up when the when the sun hits the the horizon for the summer solstice. Cheers, yay, whatever. And then they said, well, you know, it kind of felt like a ritual. It kind of felt something like something happened. There was a, a richness to it. And so they did it the next year, and they did it the next year. And a group known as the Cacophony Society, which is kind of like a guerrilla artist, uh, experiential kind of a, a of an outfit, they got wind of it, and uh, all of a sudden, the new their newsletter talked about going to Burning Man on the beach, and people started to converge. And I think by 1990, there was like eight or nine hundred people uh, on Baker Beach ready to burn the man, and then the cops show up. Uh, and the cops show up because they don't have a permit. And so they break up the event and it ends up moving off into the Black Rock Desert of Northern Nevada. And then from there, it just begins to grow. And th then it grows and grows. And now it's an event of 75,000 people. This year, I think, was 73,000. Uh, it is an international event. I can't tell you how many people I ran into from, from countries around the world. I talked to people from Argentina, from Peru. I talked to folks from Portugal, Australia, um, the Ukraine, Russia. They were all there. Everybody's there. And uh, it is now an international event. It's not just simply a, a new age cultural transformation experience. It is a crossroads of global politics, global religion. It is a petri dish to engage in social engineering. And in fact, they openly talk about how this is an act of social engineering. And my goodness, uh, we had Chinook helicopters flying circles around surveying the city, military helicopters. I've seen this every year I've attended. We've had military flyovers. Uh, in this case, we had uh, Chinook helicopters doing circuits. What does it cost? 8000 or so uh, per hour to run a Chinook? Oh, 
what's happening? I end up having a conversation. I need to, to do some Freedom of Information Act requests, but I end up having a conversation with a longtime burner who said, yeah, you know, the military uses our, uh, our event to, to run exercises. So this is not just simply a, a group of hippies. In fact, I've never met hippies. I've met lots of programmers, uh, uh, global thought leaders who are dressed up like hippies, there's no hippies there. No, no hippies attend this. At least I've never experienced hippies. Uh, but it has that aura or that vibe, that sense. And of course, that's what, what people uh, then tend to pull away from, uh, you know, or, or pull the information from. And of course, yes, this year we had a great big rainstorm. <laughs> and it went from burning man to a soggy man. <laughs> that is funny. I, uh, well, first of all, what you're describing is exactly what I would have expected. And I'm, I'm glad. I, I want you to flex that out as much as you possibly can. But it sounds to me like this is really an expression of the transformation of the United States and other sovereign nations into a kind of a global counterculture, if you will, that uh, is kind of a mishmash of uh, different forms of society into this kind of uh, putrid soup of, uh, I, I guess what I would say, uh, this putrid soup of, of marginalism, of, of uh, inconsequential uh, existence. I, you know, that's the only thing I can say because it's, it's, it's the opposite of what I would see as patriotism, as true Christianity, as uh, serious knowledge of our role as Christians to be stewards of the land and stewards of our fellow man, that we are supposed to be uh, true honest believers and do it without uh, trying to turn us into this kind of common soup uh, that involves socialism, Marxism, uh, fascism, communism, you name the isms, uh, that we all tolerate and consider part of that soup. Am I uh, too far off on that? No, 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 no. Uh, there, there definitely is uh, an element to that. There, there's no, no question about that, Dan. In fact, in many respects, Burning Man is um, kind of a, a, a new Bohemian Grove slash Davos experience. It really in, in, envelops some of that thinking. Uh, I mean, there's lots of talk on climate change. You can go to workshops on climate change. You can go to workshops on the sustainable development goals. It's all there. Um, there is a, a pretty deep interlock between uh, Burning Man and the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Uh, one of the workshops I went to was from a Republican insider talking on building left-right coalitions. Uh, this is this is not a again. It, this is a party, and everybody looks at it as a party because, of course, that's what you see. But you just have to scratch below the surface. You don't have to scratch hard, and it's there. So, uh, the camp that we are at. Uh, uh, right behind us was a group that that were were tenting, uh, just on the other side of our camp, and they'd been going to Burning Man for a number of years, uh, and they 
I, we, we talked a little bit about what I do for a living, what I do for my work. And they were like, oh, that's really interesting. And, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm here to do, to do surveys. I'm here to do, to do social surveys. And I did. I did about a little over 300 surveys. Um, and uh, I'm also here to attend workshops and lectures and try to understand the sharp edge of the cultural, philosophical, uh, political sphere. Because this is, this is the sharp edge of the spear. And and I described some of the workshops I was I would be looking at attending this week, and their jaw kind of was on the ground, going, "Really, we've been going to Burning Man for years, and we we didn't know this." Well, haven't you looked at your where, what, when guide? Hello, here it is. Uh, haven't you haven't you looked even on the on the the bathroom doors, all the porta potty doors? We've got workshops uh, posted up on everything from cryptocurrency development to to new systems of governance to every, of course, every spiritual uh, uh, kind of experience that you can have. Uh, hello, this is this is a, a melting pot. This is the crossroads where all of these ideas come together. And it is a uniquely uh, Silicon Valley event. I mean, this is this is America's industrial digital might coming together uh, in one location outside of San Francisco. I mean, this is Google's event. This is Silicon Valley's event. You'll talk to programmers and developers, uh, CEOs of of uh, up and coming software companies, uh, long time existing software companies, digital companies. Um, in many respects, this is this is their playground. This is not just simply a time of coming to party, but it's a time to network, and it's a time to where they allow their creative juices to flow, uh, and also to be a test case, a test bed for technology. So Google Maps was beta tested at Burning Man. Um, when when Google was incorporated as a company, uh, the very first thing that they did was was put the, the the very first Google Doodle up, which was a symbol of the man. Uh, the Burning Man symbol, and that was Silicon Valley's way of of being notified that Google are burners first. And so, when Eric Schmidt became the CEO of of Google, one of the reasons that his resume floated to the top was because he had Burning Man on his resume. So you know, um, it is an international event, but it is also a distinctly American digital Silicon Valley. Uh, event and of course Silicon Valley is now your country's um, largest industrial powerhouse, certainly its largest financial powerhouse. Uh, however, you want to look at that. So it's it's interesting this to see this incredible blend. And so I'm there doing the research. I'm there to try to understand what's transpiring at a at a global level, also to try to understand the culture itself because it's changing. And then um, as Christians, we have uh, a camp. Uh, our camp is, is called the Camp of the Unknown God. And we take that out of Acts 17. And then we try to engage in conversations around Christianity. And as I told one individual, I find it remarkable that you can have camps dedicated to Buddhist experiences. There's temples and shrines dedicated to Ganesha, to Hindu deities, uh, there's no mockery of Islam. There's no mockery of Hinduism. There's no mockery of Buddhism, but there is mockery from end to end regarding Christianity and open mockery and not just simply playful mockery. It can get pretty um, intense. Mm -hmm. And in one conversation with a longtime burner, and he wasn't a Christian, he, he kind of took him aback. He goes, well, you never, I never really thought of that. 
Well, it's in your face. It is literally in your face everywhere you go. In fact, this year, one of the more interesting art pieces was called the Chapel of Babel, a 60-foot-tall ziggurat. Um, and you walk in and it said right there on the walls, Babel, and uh, full of uh, uh, tarot icon, uh, um, icons, uh, witchcraft symbols. It was really very, very interesting, a very interesting place to be. What was remarkable at at, at at the Chapel of Babel when they burned it on Monday night. And of course, everything got delayed because of the rains. Um, we were there at midnight to watch the Chapel of Babel burn. And uh, there was a young lady who was sitting beside us and she was trying to engage in a conversation with our, our friend, Brian, who's part of our team. And Brian was tired. I mean, it's midnight. Brian's exhausted. He didn't want to talk to anybody, but this chick continued. And so Brian ended up having a, a conversation now brian does blacksmithing work and right before the conversation kind of breaks uh he pulls out a cross an iron cross that he made he just gives it to this girl and he says and just two words all he says is two words and brian doesn't know where they came from but he just said trust jesus and she held this cross and she looked in his eyes and she held his eyes and the tears were coming down her face. And she turned to Audrey, Brian's wife, put her hand on, on Audrey's arm, and the tears were just coming down her face. And then she turned to me, and she touched my arm. She held my arm. I held her shoulder, and she was just crying. No idea what happened. No idea what was going on. But obviously, there was something inside of her soul that was stirred so deeply when Brian just simply gave her a cross and said, trust Jesus. So what was this girl's backstory? I don't know, but obviously something was there. And maybe the whole reason to go to Burning Man was just for that one brief moment. I don't know. But so it's not just simply a place where you're going to learn from a researcher's perspective or for those outside of the city watching who, who just criticize it. And I get the criticisms, uh, but oftentimes the criticisms distract from what's actually taking place in terms of cultural change. Uh, but it's also a place where you can have those conversations. And we did. We had conversations all week long with people, uh, some really meaningful, really important conversations. That's actually the most valuable thing I can think of is the fact that you attend this with that uh, attitude of a researcher uh, trying to find the good and the bad and the ugly and trying to make sense out of this. And I, I guess the takeaway uh, that I would say then is that this is a really, really good barometer of the entire uh, international culture moving into, like I say, this globalist uh, soup of uh, one-worldness. That's really what it's all about. And in the process, they want to they want to uh, dilute all the religions, and especially Christianity, because it's the probably the most poignant, uh, uh, just from a strictly historical and uh, philosophical bent. Uh, Christianity is the most basically, uh, fundamentally correct of all the religions. And uh, they're trying to destroy it as a result of uh, trying to create this uh, common, I guess I call it a suit, but this uh, 
international bent, uh, this internationalism as the way to move forward for the world. I'm that that just uh, from what you've said, that sounds like that's kind of right at the core of it. Yes, and I mean, there's a reason why Christianity, true Christianity, doesn't fit. Besides, of course, the moral issues, and everybody points to, to the moral problems that 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 will be encountered at Burning Man. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's an orgy dome not far away from us. Was a bus that had plaster on the side of it. The orgy bus. Uh, it is a sexual, sensual location, and but at the same time, I mean, that in a in a way becomes just simply the the window dressing or or the 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 talking point that we all turn to. With, and, and then we end up missing what's fundamentally in play, and that is that this is an alternative salvation message and just part and parcel of what the world already is engaging in and what, oh my goodness, what your neighbors believe and what they're engaging with. Uh, it is that, that global reflection of what is already transpiring in society all around us. And so Burning Man and events like it, I mean, this is just the cultural expression of one world coming together. That's what it really is. It is that cultural expression will, of course, have a pushback against Christianity because there is something about Christianity that does not align itself, true biblical Christianity, that does not align itself with the global narrative. And that is that we don't build heaven on earth. We don't we don't bring the kingdom of God to earth. We are nothing more than the hands and the feet of, of the gospel message being brought forward. That's what we are as Christians. We're supposed to be truth tellers, recognizing that the cultures can be hostile to us because the culture, society at large, um, wants to build its own version of heaven on earth. We want to build our own babbles. That's what we do. I mean... Genesis chapter three to, to 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 the story of 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 the of of the you know the Tower of Babel uh, is this incredible reflection of where we're at today. Genesis chapter three, the fall of man. We want to be as God. Yeah, you bet. That's exactly what we want to be. Uh, the Tower of Babel. We do this now collectively. Hello, that's exactly what we're doing now. Um, so there, there's there's a juxtaposition then with Christianity. We don't fit. We're we're completely on the opposite spectrum. Uh, because we say we can't build heaven on earth. We will work hard, as hard as we can, to, to help and lift our neighbors up, uh, not to offer a handout, but to offer a hand up. And uh, we recognize the value of the individual. We recognize the value of the family unit. Uh, we recognize the importance of, of, of nation states. Um, but at the same time, we're not going, hey, we're not, we're not looking to build our own kingdom here on earth. We're looking rather to to uh, forward the kingdom message of Jesus Christ, which is we trust him. He's the one who's going to build it, not us. Yeah, I, we did that a program over the weekend on Sunday. And the thing that the one-worlders don't like about uh, Christianity, and they're in the United States uh, as a constitutional republic, uh, we represent a... Uh, a stumble or a, a, a stumbling block, whatever, of uh, what they want to create. And that is a one world system that's based on collectivism. And it, uh, everybody shares equally all this uh, nonsense that uh, is part of collectivism is also uh, antithetical to biblical Christianity because it does not recognize the individual. It does not recognize 
uh, our role as stewards in God's creation, it uh, makes man its own creator, and that is a real problem. I, I want to get Mark uh, into the discussion here because Mark, you were with uh, you were with uh, Carl at the uh, Parliament of the World Religions. We already had a little discussion about this a couple of weeks ago, but I'd like you to start that conversation about the things that you encountered there. And then I'd uh, like to bring Carl in with his perspective. Absolutely, Dan. It's lovely to join you. And it was a real thrill to see you and your dear lady wife uh, a few weeks ago. And thank you very much for your kind words. I'm just going to give myself a plug. It's very special. This is a very nice birthday present to me. So it's my birthday today. And I can't think of another way, a wonderful other way of actually spending it, having a wonderful conversation with some dear friends. So I thank you for that. Now, here is an amazing tie-in. And I sometimes think, is this how God works and this is reference to Michael who just had the show before Michael was talking about when he was ha uh, having that long discussion with a guy on the street and he talked about the conspiracy of hierarchy e.g. the story of the committee of 300 now you know as well as I do and between Carl and Carl is there sitting in front of uh, just one section, I think, of his book collection. <laughs> and I've got his Game, Game of God's book here, which I say to everyone, go and buy because it's a manual. But here we are, John Coleman's book. This begins to open up a fascinating discussion that you have just opened up, that we are having, and that is relevant. It ties in with what brilliant Michael was saying. Like Georgia, this is page 161 of Conspiracy 300. So, Michael, thank you very much for bringing this up in your program. Like George Orwell's 1984, Wells' account is a mass appeal for a one-world government summarized the intent and purpose of the Committee of 300 is to bring to pass the following conditions. A one-world government, one unitary monetary system under permanent non-electric hereditary oligarchs who self-select from among their numbers in the form of a feudal system as it was in the Middle Ages. In this one-world entity, populations will be limited by restrictions on the number of children per family, disease, diseases, wars, famines, until one billion people who are useful to the ruling class in areas which will be strictly and clearly defined remain as the total world population. Well, I think the Georgia Guidestone says it 500 million. There will be no middle class, only rulers and servants. All laws will be uniformed under a legal system of world courts, practicing the same unified code of laws backed up by one world government. Here we go. There's a few lines I'll skip. Only one religion will be allowed, and that will be in the form of a one world government church, which has been in existence since, according to John Coleman, the... Um, the uh, the the guy who's involved, MI5, MI6. Since 1920, as we shall see, Satanism, Luciferianism, and witchcraft shall be recognized as legitimate. One world government curricula with no private or church schools. All Christian churches have already been subverted, and Christianity will be a thing of the past in the one world government. Well, I just want to say that having had, uh, I was in the States for about 12 weeks, that, I think, could be another discussion. But I urge everyone to watch 
as Bible-believing Christians, knowing that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will get to the Father except through me. That is the issue. That's why, as Bible-believing Christians, we are a threat. We are a threat to this. So the Parliament of World Religions, I'm going to come to that in about in 30, as soon as I can. The key, the key is this. It says this is all planned. So when I have people over here going, oh, don't tell me it's all, it's all planned. Of course it is. We can read it from their manuals, which dear, dear Carl has been doing for a long, long time. And let's just point this out. Um, and thanks to you, I had the I had the absolute pleasure to meet her digitally. Um, so dear, dear um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, and I've forgotten her surname. Um, Liz, York, York. I think. Liz York. Dear Liz York is uh, soon going to go to the Vatican for a big consultation that the Pope is having, and the syndic that syndicate where barrier where what the, he would call lay people he has asked to join him with some priests, but it's lay people who have views that, that he will then push. And the whole idea is to then go for a, go for this, where they will then adopt gay marriage and all the rest. So that is then in play as well. The Parliament of World Religions, let's get to it and let's tie up. Let's tie up something that's very, very important to, to me. Carl can explain this. I'm sure he will correct me. But in 1893, and I've got this book already, the first World Parliament of Religions met. This is a book that describes, that is describing that. Um, and uh, I would say, and thanks to this particular gentleman, this being at the center, I would say to you that the Parliament of World Religions is where Eastern Eastern religions faith first came in 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 a in a major push in into America. Now there was a gap uh, between the World Parliament of Religions in 1893 and in 1993, and I think Carl and I can talk about that in a minute. But I just want to go to something that's really really important that I discovered that. When I turn up to a seminar where people are concerned about fake fake news and all this thing, and uh, a guy uh, called called the Reverend Mark Whitman, and I think you know we need to call these people out. And I turn up, and uh, someone's going, "Hear me, this is the statement." The the person who I think is the nearest on earth to the Antichrist is Donald Trump. That was the first seminar I went into. Um, Carl, I think, that was with me, looking at me mm -hmm. going, you can't say anything to these people. <laughs> you cannot even say anything, even though I have to say, Dan, you would be very proud of me, that on other occasions I did definitely ask questions and do that. So I'm going to jump to this. We, One of the biggest things that, of course, is on my heart and with a, uh, a dear friend of mine who you very kindly I've had on lots of times and then we've hosted your show when you have not been able to do it. Of course, is David Summerall from the Jan 6. Mm -hmm. Look at the programming here. Carl has constantly said, and this is, this is why he then goes to Burning Man. I was actually invited to go with him. I'm glad I didn't. There was part of me after 12 weeks of traveling, I thought I can't cope with going in the Nevada desert. On another occasion, I would actually do it. 
the thing is, by going, as you know, as you know, from the dear dear uh, people like Joan Bion, who go around writing books like this, right? Um, prince Charles, the, the Sustainable Prince. And then we've got, you know, our joy. Our dear, bah, sorry, I'm coming back. Coming back. Sorry about that. Um, I've just ruined your friend. studio. Yeah, I know. I've just ruined it. Uh, then, uh, then you've got um, William Jasper sitting in the UN for 32, 33 years as a journalist, finding out what's going on in this people from in their own words. So on page 205 of this manual, this is the Parliament of World Religions manual. Look how thick that is. Now, I want to ask Carl, because it'd be brilliant if we could get some more copies of this to pass around. Now, this is 304. On page 205 was a seminar, and I, didn't, I couldn't go to it, The Rise of White Christian Nationalism and the Threats to U.S. Democracy. I've raised this with you before. I'm bringing this back of look at the lexicon, look at what's happening within American politics, look at what's happening within our own politics, etc., etc. These people get together. The Parliament of World Religions, to me, was to then sit in front of Al Gore's daughter, Karina, and then hear about this whole thing of um, anti, anti-oil. We need to get rid of oil. It's where Parliament of World Religions, the interfaith, pushing the whole Gaia movement, pushing the cult of the Green Movement. This is what it is. Now, Carl and I, I know there is criticism for us, why, why are you attending this kind of thing? You know, why are you attending this? We know what happens at the end of the book. The book of Revelation says this. Well, there's something that's very, very important, and I, I, I totally agree what the Bible is saying, but there's something very important. I believe that we have to understand how we've got there and understand that we have been so duped. We could have actually, by being involved, by shouting and screaming and jumping up and down, we could have brought a load of this more to people's attention so that they could actually do something about it. So the key is this, and I'm not saying, I am not saying change how the book ends. I'm not saying that. But if by God's grace he's going to put stops in the road at various times, then hallelujah. Because the whole thing is about preaching the gospel. That's the number one thing. So the fact that I was then part of 11 people that only went to Chicago, where's the rest of America turning up by busloads? Where's the church? Well, part of that is because the church in America, like the church over here, has been invaded Enemies within the church, that fantastic video where, where the wonderful Trevor Loudon plays center point. That is all part of this. And the mm -hmm. Parliament of World Religions, the worship of Gaia there. Um, Carl took me to a couple of events, which I would say, well, this is very interesting. When people are practicing Wicca, witchcraft, and all this kind of thing. I've just read out from the Parliament of World religions i've just said that so to go there be part of a seminar to sit behind david Saberstein, that was obama's um ambassador on religion to then realize what has been going on in the white house what has been going on over here we have just had a slight segue but there is a really important point 
We've just had CPAC conference. Carl sent me a link to that in the Canadian. It's not the CPAC that you'd understand in America, but it's a left-wing think tank. We've just had that on the 16th of September. Um, Tony Blair, what a surprise, was there. Uh, and Keir Starmer, who's head of the Labour Party. Now, just remember this. Keir Starmer, sorry, Tony Blair has called, called two, two and a half years ago, with Gordon Brown, another ex-Prime Minister, both both members of the Fabian Society, mm-hmm. called for a one-world government. People can look that up. That's what they called for. The Fabians are another very, very interesting discussion. So they've just had this in um, just had this in Canada. Le- Jacinda Ardern was there, the um, advisor to Prince William of this country. I am not making it up. What I'm saying is, and Carl's hinted at this quite brilliantly, is the intertwining, Mm. the networks, the networks, the networks. You have been talking about these networks, the intertwining for many years, Dan. You've been way ahead of me on that, and I feel as I'm just trying to catch up with your cowboy boots. Mark, but, can I can I say something too? And I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this into the mix because you mentioned the first Parliament of World Religion uh, was in uh, 1893. Yep, Do you realize yep. that was the same year that the Columbia Exposition in yes. Chicago? Yes. Uh, yep. There's a reason that they're both in Chicago. In Chicago, and that was basically the precursor of the World's Fair. Yes. That was the initiation of bringing the whole world together. And uh, that's not a a coincidence. That is a fact. That's the way they've been doing this. The Fabian Society was only a couple of years ahead of that Columbia Exposition. So anyway, I'm I'm just telling you, this this has been going on for so long, and people that say, well, what happened? This, uh, This is the first I've heard about it. It's because they're so damn stupid. They aren't reading and understanding (laughs) that this has been going on for a century and a half. As a matter of fact, it's been going on really uh, since Christ's time. I I fully concur with you. And sorry, I'll just put this book up. People may not be able to see it, but Incredible Worlds, Parliament of Religions, 1893. And that picture backs up exactly what you've just said because this book is about when when we have reached a point in the lexicon when you're worried about what you know you're trying to say white nationalism and all this kind of thing you tie this up with the whole thing of Jan Jan 6 this complete disgusting setup you then you then imprison people you take away the constitution you take away their free speech you take away all of that you've then stolen an election the reason why I say that is to back up step by step what are we doing to now get people completely disillusioned with the voting process and that's why that CPAC thing in Canada when you've got the, you know Blair there, Starmer who is, he- who is a member of the Trilateral Commission and there he is the leader of, uh, of the Labour Party, when you have got and you, you 
Carl alluded to this again in a seminar, a mayor seminar. One of the seminars at the Parliament of World Religions, I know I've talked about this before, but this is really important, was four mayors, four mayors, two from America, two from Canada. The mayor of San Antonio, Texas was there going, oh, my role is not to ask for papers, but to ask how we can help. And there he used a figure, and I think the figure is way off beam, and David Summerall said that to me, of half a million illegal immigrants being helped in San Antonio. Now, I need to improve my Texas geography, but having witnessed it with my own eyes, the traffic, having known about certain accidents that go on, the lack of insurance and all this, this whole impact on the society. And of course, of the Parliament of World Religions, which is non-government organizational central, you know, they would then be discussing, well, how can we help uh, these immigrants? How can we help this people group? We have just seen an invasion on the Italian island, um, which I get the pronunciation wrong, which begins with L, we have just seen an, an, an invasion of 7,000 immigrants, etc. The people, the NGOs at this meeting of the Parliament of World Religions see no problem with that. They would then turn around and go, well, how can we help? What can we do? These people need to get to Europe. When, and you've said it, and I do. I am beginning to be very animated because, quite rightly, when I'm told, Carl says to me, you know, Strett, union now with Britain, okay, mm. laying the foundations of NATO, where are we at now? When you attend a seminar at the Parliament of World Religions going on about the Ukrainian war, then turning around and saying that the next person who's the Antichrist is Putin, and you just see this program going on, push, 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 push. I say respectfully, I urge people, and if it is within America, if we're still here next year, and I'm not saying that tritely, because mm -hmm. these lunatics that are trying to run the world at the moment wish to have a third world war involving nuclear weapons. That is what they want to do. So I urge people to go en masse next year, listen from people out of their own mouths what they are saying. If we believe that we're not fighting flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, and I can, I'm not just saying this because he's a dear friend of mine. It was lovely to spend days with him. Carl, Carl is an inspiration to me because he's allowed me to then go, well, go and buy this book, learn this, look at this, and mm -hmm. saying, come on, right, get up to speed with this. We all need to get up to speed because there are many people out there, and I was thinking about this when I was at the parliament, who would not call themselves Christians, but they know there is something wrong. And when you say to them, did you know about the Parliament of World Religions? They turn around and go, well, no, what's that? This interfaith movement. Now, some of them would turn around and say, well, what is the problem with that? And as Bible-believing Christians, we would then go to explain, because when we've got Noah Harari wanting to have AI to run everything, wanting to basically reformulate human beings and transhumanism, the Parliament of World Religions pushing, pushing, 
the whole ideology under cover of transhumanism to me, pushing different lifestyles, etc., pushing all of that, as Carl says brilliantly time and time again, it's about cultural change and cultural changes. And these people are that. And when they're talking about, right, we need to get a oil, and then they're referring to the pandemic, and we call it the pandemic of, uh, of stupidity. And they're, they're, you know, the people, the clot shots, not that that's talked about. But there is a genocide, of course, a genocide agenda. They are part of that because they want to say, right, we don't want oil. We've got to lower the temperature, which means that if we get rid of vehicles, then you can't transport food to feed people and all of that. These discussions are here. They are here. Now, we need hours, and, and you and I have discussed this. We, in fact, need a seminar. We need a, a, our, our online uh, conference in many ways to begin to talk about this. Now, I love, I love America, and I love Americans. I am as frustrated as you, my dear friend, and I can only leave it, lead it to you to say that at times you get frustrated and they are as thick as a box of frogs. I hear you. The same is over here, mm -hmm. and it drives us at times up the wall because when we're being called saying, well, how do you know this is right? How do you know that is right? It's because they've written it in their own words. Right. Here it is. Now, Carl would explain better than me why, but just because there was a gap between 1893 and 1993, do not think that the that things weren't going on. When we look at Herbert Walker Bush's speech, around about, I think, 1990, when he was calling, you know, we have the opportunity, a new world order. I think he made that on September the 11th. There's another one in 1991. Then you've got the Kyoto, which you are an expert on, my dear friend, when you look at the 17 development goals, Agenda 21, Agenda 30. And that is what we are facing now. And coming up with something that's happening in London right now under that excuse of a mayor, Sadiq Khan, who then chairs C30. And don't think that uh, Boris Johnson gets away with it because he is a complete and utter fabrication of what then he has been on about. That's a subject for another day. But Sadiq Khan then pushing ultra-low emission zones and all this kind of stuff. That ethos, this whole ethos, is embedded mm -hmm. in here. There may not be a seminar going, how does Sadiq Khan do this? But when you want to destroy nation-states as the mayor of San Antonio goes along with, then you then are pushing constant immigration. Now, some people have said, and I, I don't want to even think about this, we're not talking thousands a day. We are talking an invasion of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, into America. And we look at what is happening on our south coast exactly right now. But these NGOs, this building, this building, this building to break down society as you and I know it. Now, before just a second before we go, we go back to Carl. Putting it in the biblical context, 
and I was someone was doing this uh, brilliantly the other day. We go back to the Tower of Babel. You and I have discussed this. We go back to Nimrod to build a tower to attack God. And as Carl has said, look at how our faith in Christ is vilified because they know they are absolutely petrified of it. Petrified because they know we have we have the answer, hence why they are trying to rebuild, you know, a reenactment of, of Nimrod and rebuild all this. And nation states are there for a reason, and they each have an individual role. You have said this, the Constitution of the United States, and they certainly, you know, there are questions on that. The Constitution of the United States, and as Rupert Darwell in his book, Green Tyranny, I know I quote that so many times, because the green tyranny is running through the Parliament of World Religions. They have turned to the worship of the earth instead of worshipping the Creator. This is the key thing. And when we begin to see it and understand it, and I'm going to say something that maybe seem completely and utterly outrageous and will get me in trouble with a bunch of with a bunch of so-called Christians. But singing singing Kumbaya and the next sort of um, certain particular song out of various streams is not going to cut it. We are not going to get anywhere. We have got to educate ourselves and realize that we have been totally and utterly infiltrated on every, in every single facet of our society. And it's the American Constitution that is in the way of this. I know I'm saying the obvious. But that is what my big takeaway, and Carl, I know, laughing, going, looking at my reaction because I thought I'd entered the Death Star and that my, you know, my, my lightsaber was my, my faith in Christ and my Bible. But the key, the key thing is this, is you are seeing this unfold and we are sounding the alarm because our mission is to preach the gospel, and we have to use all the different ways that we can do that. And I thank God that Carl and two other dear friends of mine went to Burning Man, especially with what they then bring back, because something would be really good to talk to him about, Dan, is why there was suddenly a Ukrainian focus. There's a Ukrainian focus going on in the Parliament of World Religions, and there was a Ukrainian focus during an artwork, and ask him who turned up at at burning man and unless we go there and start joining the dots up to give wonderful praise to your show we are then profoundly uneducated and we are then in the box of dumb as a box of frogs and we are called and i'm coming back to this hosea 4 verse 6 says my people are destroyed and i am animate for a reason i am passionate about this for a reason my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge and i say this respectfully and lovingly if people are sitting back and the wonderful tenpenny um uh, sherry tenpenny i'm going to try and quote because I heard it, you heard it say mm -hmm. it. The rapture is a poor excuse for not getting involved and not educating yourself. These are my words, the last bit, about what is going on. Sorry, that can upset a number of people. Do I want to go through difficult times? No, I don't. But 
But that's where we're at. Dan, God sorry, that's us. my opener. Well, God tells us that we're going to go through difficult times, and we are not here to be sheep led to the slaughter. We're here to be lions to lead and to help others to understand what God's real word is, and that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Carl, I, I want to get back to you because, as Mark says, all the dots connect. It's just a matter of understanding that. Now, you have, I, I have never seen your library, but just from the conversations we've had, I think you have a massive library and done an incredible amount of research. Every time we do, uh, we read another book, we understand another, um, you know, another perspective. It all, all always goes back to the same idea that they are, they hate uh, national sovereignty. They hate individualism because that goes back to the understanding that man is created in God's image. And as such, we have the power of discernment. We are living under unalienable God-given rights and that man and government does not have the right to take away God's word and God's unalienable rights. And that's the jealousy that's behind this whole thing. It's also the very reason that they attack Christianity so uh, vociferously. They are definitely afraid of Christianity. And uh, Carl, uh, let, let's go back to you and uh, your comments about the parliament or world's religions. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, I want to quickly go back to, to the founding of it in 1893. Uh, it was part of the Columbian Exposition. Uh, in fact, it was a branch of the Columbian Exposition. The Columbian Exhibition in 1893 had a number of congresses, including congresses on industry uh, and trade. And uh, the Parliament of World Religions was one of the congresses of the Columbian Exposition. Uh, the Columbian Exposition was, as you as you rightfully described it, as part of the, the system of world fairs, which begins in roughly the 1790s as industrial trade shows. And the first real world fair that came uh, to fruition in a, in, in a way that illustrated itself as an international gathering was the, the London World Fair mm -hmm. in 1851, which was placed in this massive house of glass. And uh, I think six million people attended that event. And it was kind of like uh, the trade show for, for all the world's uh, major industrialists at the time. Uh, but it was considered to be the, you know, kind of like the, the seminal event of, of launching this idea of, of a world fair. And uh, then there was the Paris World Fair after that, and uh, with the Eiffel Tower, uh, that was their centerpiece. And uh, by the time the 1893 Parliament comes along, Chicago needs to somehow uh, do one up on Paris. And, and by the way, the, the, do you know where the, the, the name Windy City came from when you consider the the... the Nickname of Chicago, everybody calls it the Windy City. Well, it was named that by um, Washington and New York elites 
when the announcement came from the committee on the parliament of the world, pardon me, when the committee on the Colombian exposition suggested that they would, they would be building a city, a white city of roughly 300 buildings, which one of them being the largest footprint on the planet at the time, and that they were going to do all this within the span of three to four years. And everybody was like, no, you're just blowing hot air. This is just all mm. wind. You're never going to be able to accomplish something like this. And they did it. They did it. They did it. And it became uh, uh, absolutely kind of like the launching pad of, of the sense of, of a new form of, of materialism, a new way of saying, look at what man can do with his hands. And of course, at that event, what came the 1893 Parliament of the World's Religions as one of the Congresses of the Columbian Exposition. So it, it really is. The 1893 event is the turning point. It's when things flipped. It's a it's it's the rise of a of, of a new internationalism, a new international mind. Uh, and and interestingly it was uniquely American, a uniquely American turning point as well. Uh, it was it was a, a a point and and place where you know Thomas Edison uh, was battling out between AC and DC uh, when you had things like uh, uh, the Ferris wheel was first introduced at the Parliament of or pardon me at the Columbian Exposition uh, and the and the Ferris wheel wasn't just simply a you know a a carnival Ferris wheel no no it had I can't remember how many cars but each car held um, something like two thousand people it was just it was insane. I, wow. These these were it was a massive massive structure and so it was like uh, the world flexing its might saying look at look at what we can achieve through industry and through might uh, some really interesting stuff and and you can do some homework on it there's there's uh, uh, some fascinating books on the topic and some videos and I know it's been uh, the focus of of certain uh, for certain documentaries it's, it's really an interesting study. But here, this is this is the parliament that arose out of this becomes um, kind of this flashpoint where East and West comes together. It's it's also where theosophy all of a sudden gets really noted within the public space um, as as the theosophical movement was was uh, bringing its its uh, program forward through the parliament, and in many respects, it's kind of the 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 burgeoning point where the social gospel movement, which is really in its embryonic stage, uh, starts to coalesce, and you had a number of social gospel ministers who were notable figures at the parliament speaking, and then of course the social gospel movement, which is uh, America's progressivist historical progressivist movement within Christianity, uh, then then some of those same personalities, of, uh, that same milieu ends up uh, moving into world federalism, into the League to Enforce Peace, some of that, that same interlock, uh, very similar personalities, certainly the same milieu ends up being on a, a small private committee to help form the, the League of Nations, you see, you see the Federal Council of Churches uh, birthed through through what transpires just before World War One, uh, and they're pushing this idea of this righteous internationalism, and all of a sudden you've got uh, this move towards world federalism, uh, ironically, really being pushed through churches, and by the time World War Two comes along, uh, 
by the time World War II comes along, the Federal Council of Churches has this incredible interlock with the State Department. And uh, John Foster Dulles is leading the World Council, or World Federal Council, or World Council, pardon me, Federal Council of Churches um, on one of their committees to develop world order. And, uh, you know, World War II comes along and you have an incredible amount of, of church participation. The Methodists have world order crusades and the Southern Baptist convention is issuing a statement on, on why we need a world federal government through the United Nations. Uh, only a few years after that, Pope Pius XII is meeting with the world federalists in the Vatican to talk about how the, the Roman Catholic church and the world federalists can come together and work together. Uh, and he congratulates them for the work that they're doing to bring about world government. And so there's this, this gap, and Mark is right in asserting that there's a gap between the 1893 parliament and the next parliament, which, which takes place in 1993. But in that period, there is an incredible push, not just for interfaithism, that's there too. In fact, uh, Andrew Carnegie starts uh, the the Church Peace Union before World War One, uh, bringing together religious leaders from three or four different faiths to try to kind of build on this idea of of world religion religious leaders uh, making an impact at the political level. And so you've got this this time period where you have both the interfaith movement burgeoning, it's coming, it's percolating. Uh, you have the Second Vatican Council. You've got all kinds of other things that are transpiring that builds on this interfaith perspective. But at the same time, you've got church involvement. You've got progressive Christian involvement. You've got mainline Christian involvement going, we, we need world government. We need world order. Uh, we need we need to support the United Nations. And I document a fair amount of this in my book. I need to actually, golly, I need to write another book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because this is almost like a, it's not a forgotten history. It's there. You just have to find it and peel it back. And you realize that, oh, my word, uh, churches have been front and center in pushing for global governance, absolutely front and center with this movement. And and th there's a whole different side to, to Christianity that I think a lot of us who are more conservative, who are more evangelical, or who just simply don't want to, you know, we, we like having our heads buried in the sand. Maybe it feels good for some bizarre reason you can't breathe and you don't know where your enemies or your friends are and your ass is exposed and it's going to get kicked and yes it is getting kicked but we like it anyways and nevertheless nevertheless uh we have this this incredible situation where the church itself becomes uh the springboard to to push for world federalism and for for universalism and interfaithism and internationalism all of a sudden golly realizing that hmm um, we're actually front and center to the problem. Uh, and not just simply the church, but Britain, America, those your two nations, and Canada's in the middle of this as well. We have been the drivers for global governance. We have been the absolute drivers of internationalism. Uh, I've got a book on my shelf from uh, Clarence Strait, Union Now with Britain, uh, he, he wrote that after his famous book, Union Now, in 1939, which launches Federal Union and eventually becomes kind of like the some of the intellectual thinking behind the development of NATO's parliament. Uh, he, he describes in the book how there's no other countries in the world besides America and Great Britain that have pushed the idea of world government further than those two countries. Mm -hmm. 
So we have this interesting juxtaposition while, while there's a, a, a strong segment of the American population who historically are saying, uh, we want to be independent. I mean, your history is one of in, independence from Britain. At the same time, America's elites, American, uh, America's uh, uh, banking class, uh, your State Department, you, certainly your military, uh, especially your Navy, has pushed for internationalism for a very long very time. Long time. And and likewise in in England, my goodness, in Canada, my yeah, my my country, we're not sure who we are, and so uh, uh, after World War II was wrapped up, we ended up having one of the largest one of the largest standing armies in the world. We were lumped together under 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 the the British Commonwealth, but we as Canadians like to say, hold on, hold on, uh, we weren't English, we were we're Canadians, because um, we are a mixed bag of people. And uh, we had, I think, the largest merchant marine uh, fleet in the world. And by the mid-1950s, we already, with some interesting historical uh, developments between, Dan, your country and my country, on the Dew Line and setting up uh, continental defense, we basically threw our military under the bus back then as a, as a, as a country uh, and said we'll be under the American umbrella Um and then there was a shift that took place within Canada's foreign thinking, and that was that uh, we'll be a strong middle power pushing for internationalism, and the United Nations will become our new foreign policy. So whatever the United Nations says becomes, we, we, you know, we become a mirror to that. So that's why you have men like Marie Strong who all of a sudden pop up out of the woodwork. Uh, strong Canadian leader uh, within the NGO community, within the United Nations, pushing for things like global government and Agenda 21, Convention on Biodiversity. The list is long, and you understand that very, very well. So, I mean, this is a bit of a history lesson, but there's there's mm -hmm. this, this time period between 1893 and the 1993 Parliament where internationalism literally explodes it comes to the forefront and it ab absolutely shapes our nations. And then the 1993 parliament that, which took place in Chicago reemerges this idea that religions along with political players can come together and engage in some form of spiritual politics through this idea of the cult of world order. Uh, we will push for, for global governance and the parliament has been kind of a melting pot between world religious leaders and uh, uh, government players, and uh, especially United Nations uh, uh, leadership. I was, uh, I was with Mark. I took Mark and another another part of our another member of our group. I took him to a, a witchcraft event at the Parliament, um, so that Mark could. could <laughs> I know Mark wasn't feeling that comfortable uh, going going to that uh, little event, and it was a ritual. And as we were standing off to the side, you know, observing this ritual, we ended up bumping into a lady, um, and we ended up having a conversation later on with that lady. And and I am sitting down beside her, I guess, roughly an hour, maybe even longer. And she was an interfaith minister who had been at this this witchcraft uh, ceremony. And she said, "This is my first interfaith event I've ever attended. My first parliament." And she just kind of had a quizzical look about her, and she goes, "What is with all the United Nations people here?" <laughs> Boy, girl, big surprise, <laughs> yeah, yeah, big surprise. This is the <laughs> playground. This is where the 
two come together. Um, and so we ended up having a really, really interesting conversation. And I ended up actually giving her a copy of my book. Um, wow. And yeah, and and she was very shocked by uh, how this is really a form of religions binding themselves together for global political goals. Yeah, that's a, about as clearly and well stated as I can think. It's it's literally the last. I guess I would call it the last piece in the puzzle, because if they get our faith, if they take our our belief in our own personal faith, and as Christians, certainly, if they manage to, to take that away, they've pretty much gotten all the pieces at that point, and uh, we're done as a culture, no question about it. Mark... Um, First of all, I, you, you mentioned something earlier, and that was the the focus on Ukraine. And I, I want you and Carl to have a back-and-forth discussion about that, because part of the, the whole Ukraine thing, and I see this, and you tell me if I'm wrong. Incidentally, Carl, I have to tell you, you were uh, brilliant in fleshing out the uh, uh, international, the world fair type events and how uh, they started with the first one with uh, uh, Britain um, and how that kind of uh, evolved into what happened in 1893. I did not know that the parliament, the first parliament of world religions was actually part of the Columbia exposition. I did not realize that. So that's a good tie. It makes perfect sense. It's all part of the same pie. Um, anyway, uh, Mark, you started talking about Ukraine, NATO, uh, how Ukraine ties into this. And I want that conversation between you and Carl, because I, I think it's fascinating. And it's obvious that Putin is an absolute nightmare, just like Trump was, to the New World Order, because Putin is also a nationalist. He believes in Russia. Uh, he also, and according to Juliet Engel, who is a brilliant friend of mine, she says that he is a Christian and truly believes in uh, the, uh, the reaffirmation of the Christian faith in Russia. So anyway, go ahead. Uh, start that conversation, Mark. You got to unmute yourself. Sorry, some people will be very very pleased if I'm permanently muted. I have to say, <laughs> um, I um, one of my delights at the red pill that I need to sort that email out was meeting uh, Julia and having a, a fascinating conversation about Russia and the Ukraine. And we'll remind ourselves a few things historically in a minute. Before I get into that, just to give you another quick seminar when you've been mentioning the Pope, Pope Francis and new directions for interreligious dialogue. Uh, building on the 60-year legacy of Catholic Church's formal promotion of inter-religious inter dialogue, Pope Francis has proposed a new emphasis of inter-religious relations and revitalized ongoing themes for dialogue, blah, 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 blah. Maybe people need to look at his Jesuit background on what he was really doing uh, many, many years ago in his youth. Um, so 
I ended up being at a, uh, a seminar where they were discussing the Ukraine, and I was listening to this, you know, Putin's bad, Putin's evil, and all this kind of thing. I just want to say, the last thing we want is war. The last thing we want to see is people killing each other. But you've mentioned NATO. We've mentioned NATO, and recently, in the last two weeks, maybe even a week ago, the leader of NATO admitted that the reason why Putin has gone into the Ukraine is because of provocation by NATO. Exactly. So who decided to remind the people running a seminar on the Ukraine in the building, I did, was to remind them and ask them in a very nice, gentle way about the provocation. So if we go back to... The provocation in regard to promising, we uh, many years ago, the wall comes down, 1991, we're, not, we're going to promise not to expand NATO. Now, Carl can talk more about this than me, but we have to then put into context that Mr. Gorbachev is not who he then will express himself to be, and that there was a meeting, I think, in Nashville, Tennessee, around about 1990-91. He then appears on the screen giving an address, and then he actually appeared in the room. And then, of course, meeting Herbert Walker Bush and all this. These things have been at play. So the reason why... Um, Putin went into Georgia, and there was a five-day war then, I think, 2009, was because we then, NATO had put Georgia on a preferential list to begin to create a treaty to then take Georgia into NATO. Mm -hmm. In 2014, you are aware, as I am, of the coup in the Ukraine, Prushenko at one minute, this is very important, Prushenko at one minute was looking to go with Europe, then at the last minute changed his mind and then went with Russia. And I believe, if, if I'm right, that Prushenko was, at, is actually, was actually Russian-born, or is actually Russian-born. Then they have a coup in 2014. We have that piece of absolute nightmare, Victoria Newland, who is back in the uh, back in the Biden administration, going, "I don't give an f about the European Union. You know, we want our man in there." And and being part of of this revolution, the you know orange, purple, whatever color they want, mm. revolution in the Ukraine. I say all that to say this, because then we have the Minsk Agreement around about that time, which is then signing to say, again, we are not going to expand. And then, then a discussion talks about putting Ukraine on a preferential list to begin to maybe look at getting Ukraine into NATO. The history is important. The mm -hmm. propagation is important. Am I sitting here as a Putin apologist? No. Am I saying that the man is some angel? No. But is there propaganda out there that people need to sift through? So he is a nationalist. The last thing he, I believe, the last thing he wants has been wanting. He has said, you keep provoking. We go back to the Donbass. We go back to the Legans. We go back to people voting to be part of Russia, Crimea, 
which is always interesting in regard to having that port and the whole thing of Khrushchev maybe losing it in a game of cards or and all this kind of thing. Now, a discussion is going on about Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. And I put my hand up and I, exp I say, well, could we look at the history of how Putin feels about this, how this is played out? I mean, we look at, just quickly as a slight segue, if you go to Libya, and I'm not defending Gaddafi, if you go to Libya and bomb the crap out of it and you get rid of a country that is actually, there's incredible social welfare systems, people are benefiting by the oil, et cetera, et cetera. When people get married, you give them X amount of your, of your currency. You then make sure that people can buy a house and all this kind of thing. Incidentally, then, Mark, which is backed by gold and silver. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely. why they hated, that's why they they hated, hated him. him. Yep. They hated him. But the key is this. When he turns around and says, if you get rid of me, then you're going to have constant immigration from North Africa, right? Mm -hmm. Constant immigration. So that is really accelerating. That is happening. NATO, we look at what it, what it has then done, what it has expanded, coming back in regard to Russia. You keep poking the bear, you keep poking the bear. So, to me, the view I got, which is, well, what Putin's done is wrong. We have to support the Ukrainians and all the way. Am I saying I want to see war? No. And the other thing that I've always thought is very interesting, Dan, and I think I raised this point, is the way that Putin fights a war, and people cleverer than me have said this, is, this, is, is I think, General Klautsevich or Klautsevich rules, where he engages the army itself, and hence why there's been that comment about putting people through the meat grinder. We've run out of people in the Ukraine. Now we have to go to the women. Now we have to ask all the Ukrainians that have fled to other European countries, and maybe even America, even here, I think we've allowed 180,000 uh, visas, uh, that we need to send those fighting men back to fight the Russians. The fact that to me, there was a blindness in beginning to understand that if you keep sending arms into the theater of war, if you keep sending the tanks and all the rest and the munitions that have gone, the fact that you gave $85 billion worth of ammunition uh, and ordnance in Afghanistan and the military industrial complex goes, oh, fantastic, we can just rebuild and replace all those. What? So there is part of that. And the fact that there's all these munitions going on. And here's the concern. And no one appears to be discussing this. They then, it's as though they're pushing for a nuclear war. And to actually use small nukes seems acceptable thing to do. But there's a programming of people. Of, of our populations, of the American people and over here. And I'm not saying this to be clever. Someone was talking about this, and it really, really struck me, and I'm trying to think who said it. Our thing of about nuclear weapons and nuclear testing is that we always think that they're done underground. So that must mean, okay, fine, nuclear weapons done underground. We're not affected by that. Hold on a minute. What is in these silos? 
Are we then saying that we now are reaching a point where some kind of controlled nuclear war would be absolutely acceptable? <laughs> that is a discussion that I don't think certain individuals there wanted to go to. Any launch of any ballistic nuclear missile, and we are, I think, at the anniversary of the Oslo agreements very soon and the George Schultz negotiation. And what is very interesting, and I'm trying to think of the gentleman name that I, because he was in the seminar, a Catholic um, bishop in the California area, he befriended Schultz. They had a, a good friendship and they were discussing nuclear weapons and all this. And of course, as much as this is unpopular, detente, mutually assured destruction meant exactly that, mm. that you far off, we will far off, so we're all going to be totally and utterly destroyed. But the fact that people, and I, I just got this feeling, these people that they would begin to discuss some kind of limited launch of, of nuclear missiles, what was a shock to me. That, that that kind of discussion, because the other thing is people will not discuss the amount of munitions that Russia actually has. In other words, if they're talking about we are the parliament of world religions, why are they not pushing the fact that both sides need to get round the negotiating table and stop this and understand both people's point of view? And I'll just finally end with this to let Carlin. The fact that our previous Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, in February this year, gets on a plane and goes out to Zelensky, you know, I don't want you talking peace with anyone. Then in the summer, the beginning of the summer, is going to Texas to talk to people who are part of, you know, military, military industrial complex about about munitions, etc., most probably, and supporting NATO and all of this. And I have to say to you that with all my reading of history and understanding 20th century history of American history, which is not how it's portrayed in the schools, is not how it's portrayed over there, over here, is the First World War contrived? Yes. Is the Second World War contrived? Yes. The fact that people are edging to then Again, think about the one way to reduce the population other than starving them, other than uh, denying water, other than pushing vaccinations. And the, and the 300 book <laughs> brilliantly lays that out as well. It's not a plug for that book. It's to then have limited mutually assured destruction and to fire off some nuclear weapons. And where is the negotiation for peace? None of that was talked about there. At the Parliament, and I'll just re re reiterate this, the Parliament of World Religions. So there is a different, to me, there is a different agenda. And am I advocating that we fire nuclear weapons off? No, I am not. Another discussion about the Cold War and the military-industrial complex, I think, or congressional complex, is there for another day. But it is absolutely real. Why are we not stopping this? And I'll just quickly say this. Sadly, for the elites 
for the cabals, the people making money out of the military-industrial complex, the European theatre of war is where they have benefited financially there. That is where it has taken place in the First and the Second World War, and it looks as though they want to do it again, Dan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right, Mark. Um, I want Carl to come into this, but I want to make a comment uh, as well, and that is directly from uh, Juliet Engel. Uh, but uh, we, George Herbert Walker Bush, agreed when the Soviet Union fell, uh, we agreed, our State Department agreed that we would not try to expand NATO Absolutely. into the Absolutely. former Soviet satellite republics. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is number one. We agreed to that, and it was there was a certain uh, reaffirmation of that in the Minsk Accords, which happened uh, subsequent to that. But also, Ukraine never formally severed its economic uh, relationship and declared independence from the former Soviet Union. It never declared its independence from Russia. And the reason it didn't was because Ukraine had an enormous amount of debt and they did not want to have to repay that. They wanted Russia to be on the hook for that incredible amount of debt. And so they never formally declared their independence from Russia. So to put nuclear weapons into Ukraine is like us, uh, an example would be, it would be like putting nuclear weapons, uh, China putting nuclear weapons in Texas. That's the relationship. Okay, Carl, uh, <laughs> please come into that discussion. Well, Mark had brought up uh, something that happened at Burning Man. He had just kind of tossed that out there about uh, asking uh, what happened with Ukraine at Burning Man. So a couple of interesting things uh, developed. Uh, number one, there was uh, uh, some art pieces. Uh, there was one art piece in particular, and it ended up making the news. It was a, a large rectangular box-shaped structure. And you couldn't see inside of it. You couldn't tell what it was. And it was all made of wood. And uh, there was no announcement as to what it was. And I believe it was Thursday night when they burned the structure. And in burning the structure, it revealed um, a, a artistic design of Ukraine's triad symbol. And it was called the Phoenix. And so it was. It was meant to be a, a uh, an artistic symbolic act of of bringing Ukraine's issue to the forefront of of Burning Man. What was interesting, though, was some of the personalities involved, and in particular, uh, the Ukraine's deputy minister of defense for digital transformation. Uh, was in attendance. I guess it's okay to to leave a war zone for ten days and go to Burning Man, and as the deputy minister of defense for digital transformation. So hey, if if it's important enough for him to go, it's important enough for me to go. Um, and, and I found that, that that to be a really fascinating little side note to what was transpiring uh, in the desert during that week. Uh, there was another uh, artistic display of, of uh, from Ukraine, and there was also there. Was, I know there was at least one meeting, and I think it was like a, a shared meal uh, between Russians and Ukrainians. Uh, we we tend to forget that that you know 
there's boys on the ground on both sides who are just men who want to live and and let live and uh, be fathers and and be husbands and uh, be business owners and and just to live their life uh, who are literally thrown into a meat grinder and uh, and and uh, you know all the politics of it gets gets shoved in our faces and, and we see because it is a, this is a political these are all political moves and because war is nothing more than just simply politics uh, further expressed and uh, but it's it's those the people on the ground who suffer on both sides it's horror. It's absolutely a horror show on both sides. And, uh, and so I, I, you know, from the political side of it, it was like, here I am out in the desert and Ukraine's, uh, um, the Ukraine issue is, is right there, including the deputy minister of defense for digital transformation. Um, I, I, it's rich. I mean, who does that? Um, who, who takes the time off to, to, to run off to the desert in the middle of, you know, when you're in the middle of a war, uh, to set up a, a, a symbolic structure, a piece of artwork, and then burn it. But yeah, that's that's one of the interesting little things that transpired. That's amazing. Well, uh, Carl, um, you, you know, the, you mentioned all the, the loss of life that they've had in that area. And uh, really, Ukraine was the center of uh the pre-ussr uh and and back in czarist times even before the czars uh back in the time of peter the great that was a center of the russian republic and uh the eastern third of ukraine is 80 percent russian and most of the industrial base in Ukraine is actually Russian. And uh, when uh, the uh, the coup happened in 2014, from that point on, for a period of about five years, there was an enormous amount of genocide against the Russian population centers in Donetsk and different areas that were uh, Russian dominated, and they lost over 14,000 people to this kind of internalized civil war within their own uh, within their own state. That figures into the equation as well, because uh, Putin going into uh, Ukraine, the first areas that he went into were the areas that had had this kind of genocidal activity against the. Uh, historically Russian population that was part of that uh, that area. So there's a lot more here than meets the eye, and the American people are being led down a primrose path by all the uh, propaganda about Ukraine being this wonderful separate country that deserves all this freedom. Good Lord, the uh, the Nazis had a huge presence and still do in Ukraine, and uh, they fought on the side, and rightfully so, because of Stalin's uh, uh, genocide against the Ukrainians, but they fought on the side of the Germans, many of them, uh, in World War II against the USSR. So there's a kind of a deep-seated resentment all the way around in there, and there's so much more history there. We need to stay the heck out of it uh, from the American perspective 
and let these people sort out their own dirty laundry. But anyway, that's just my comment. Well, yeah, yeah. and, and you raise an oh, sorry, Mark. You raise a very important point, and, and that is that this is actually complex, historically yes. complex situation. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is, in some respects, a Slavic civil war, and it has been going on for for decades. This is this is a a, a region with a very uh, troubled and very complex past. My own family line. My, my great-grandparents came from what was then called southern Ukraine, or the Crimea region. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have direct family connections in, not any longer. I mean, we, we left in the 1880s uh, from what is now called Ukraine, but back then it was called southern Russia. Uh, and, and so there is, there is an, an incredibly deep and complex social, cultural history in the region. And... and as there is in so many other parts of the world, my goodness, Eastern Europe is an incredibly intertwined, complex, historical uh, a study. It, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, and, and we tend to, to, to look at these kinds of events almost in uh, like, like through almost through one dimension. But there's multiple dimensions taking place. And, and, and there's reasons why uh, those tensions exist. So, yeah, I, I would just encourage people, look into the history, study the history, and, and try, to, try to understand it from both sides, and then come to the, at least this is myself, I I've have to come to the conclusion that uh, the, 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 the bloodshed and, and the burden of, of the pain and suffering, unfortunately, will fall on the average man and woman on both sides, and, and that's, that's the horror of it. Uh, you'd love to be able to hold the political people accountable across the board as we would love to hold them accountable for COVID and, and for so many other things. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, for some, for some, for some reason, there's uh, always a double standard, isn't there? Oh, speaking of double standards, uh, while I quickly remember, and, and besides that, uh, I do have to say one thing, Mark, happy birthday. Uh, happy birthday, Mark. Yeah. I, I want to make sure that. Mark and I had been in a conversation previously, uh, just a little while before the show, a few hours before the show, and Mark had said he was, it was his birthday, and I was kind of hesitant if I should even say it, because I wasn't sure if you want to keep that a secret or not. But, no, 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 happy birthday. Uh, something interesting happening today, and, and yesterday, of course, uh, in terms of global development was... Uh, as we're speaking right now at the United Nations, we have the high-level sustainable development summit that's taking place with heads of state uh, in New York City. And for two days, it's um, it's it's leader after leader after leader getting up to make their statements and, and pleading their case for reinvigorating the sustainable development goals. So, I mean, it, it's just a complex international world that we're living in. And uh, and the ripple effects are are enormous. No, yeah, they're they're uh, literally earth shaking because yes. the fact is is they want to reshape the entire structure of uh, world government, world religion, world uh, understanding. Uh, you know, at you name it. I mean, it's all part of. Uh, you know, information technology, everything is all tied into this understanding. And what they really ultimately want to do is reduce the world's population by 93%, and the remaining 7% make sure that they are solely controlled and dominated 
that they can never, ever stand up against the powerful few that will be in total control and ever represent a rebellion against that ever again. That's their real dream, I believe. No, again, I think you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Go on, Carl. Sorry, sir. No, no, I was just going to say, and that's been the dream since 1893 to, to bring about this united world. I mean, population is, is an incredible, has an incredible part to play in it in terms of population control. And at this point, we're certainly seeing the, the control of, of people's minds uh, through the power of propaganda and the influence of, of ideas. Ideas have consequences. Mm. And these are, these are big ideas with big consequences. Absolutely. You know, and they want to get rid of the billions of useless eaters by 2050, as I say, with limited wars and starvations and famines and all the rest. And Dan, what to put it into the uh, the the right up to date context in regard to the Ukraine? And you're right. You know, America needs to, the Congress, Senate needs to stop sending money into that. Uh, theater of war we need to stop that now and then we look at carl's absolutely right when you bring up the propaganda and you think of um you think of biden at the brooking institute going well i need that judge that wants to in investigate my son we need to get rid of him otherwise i will hold back a, another billion dollars of aid to you oh and son of a gun the judge is then suddenly fired the fact that his son sits on an oil company of Burisma being paid thousands of dollars with no experience whatsoever, all these shell companies, etc., that the Biden family have. But these people think, and, you know, Lindsey Graham is another nutbag of pushing perpetual mm -hmm. war like that, and John McCain was exactly the same. And I say this to some Americans with great respect, and they go, what? What do, you, what do you mean? I say, well, go and investigate. Go and look at what, what is actually going on. And I'm asking Americans to look beyond their borders, to look at what is happening around the world. And I know a number are, and they are friends of mine, and then we get accused of being in a bubble, like if we're meeting at you know, the Red Pill Expo or, or whatever, and that this is our bubble. Well, we're trying to expand the bubble. We're trying to educate, because if we don't, you as a country are going to be bankrupt, because that's the whole idea. Mm. We need to stop all this funneling, all this money. And now we look back and, you know, there was Obama saying to Uncle Joe, I want you to go over there and sort out Ukraine and all this kind of thing. And there you are with all these dodgy deals. I mean, it is absolutely shocking. And that's the up-to-date bit. And Carl, quite rightly, has talked about history. And then, of course, the One World Government movement. We, we know how Wall Street financed Lenin going across Europe and then the Bolshevik Revolution. We know that. And they're funding things on both sides, even mm -hmm. the experiment of communism. Then you've got, like, within East Germany and the Stasi in keeping paper records of people, et cetera, et cetera. These are all practices for where we are now. And then, of course, the genocide that Pol Pot then did, etc. I know it's a shock. It's even a shock to me. 
to then come to a conclusion, and as Carl said, it's been step by step by step by step. And all part of this is all part of providing this one world government system. And I think um, I've got it behind me. I think his Robert Webb book on uh, on what have we done in regard to going from Sunshine Check to then supporting Mao. The reason why we go on about history is all of this is relevant. And as much as I, you know, want to listen to various people from the Hoover, you know, Hoover Institute or whatever, and other historians, they don't necessarily get that right because they then can't believe that there is a huge spiritual element to this and this is what we've got to hang on to as well that there is this spiritual push and that and one of the many things that carl has done for me is to help educate me in that way that these institutions have been brought about for a particular reason and he would I think this would be a really good explanation for him for a couple of minutes to explain to us. And I've started to look at it. There is a something he's written where we're trying to work that out. Maybe the link between the World Parliament, the establishment of the League of Nations, and I'm not saying that there is a link directly, but then again, I think Paul Warburg, who sat on the uh, sat on the uh, Federal Reserve, I believe that his brother was then in in germany you know giving advice to the reichstag just uh, and the bank just after the first world war so carl sorry dan i'm i'm turning into no. the interview and um, uh, carl <laughs> i wonder i wonder you know the paper i'm referring to you know the discussion that i'm referring to i'm have because i think that's quite important i just want to know what your thoughts are parliament to the League of Nations, maybe even the Federal Reserve, sir. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting linkage. And uh, and I'm working through trying to find those those direct ties. And I have very important indirect ties and and <laughs> that already start to verge on on all right, here's here's direct lines of influence. At the very least, the milieu, the idea, the 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 concept blends from one to the next. So interesting you said this. I'm I'm working on this I, I I'm kind of working on a on a book in a way. I haven't actually announced that this is a book, so to speak. I've I've been playing with it on interfaithism and world federalism. And uh so I, I just pulled up one of my little working documents. And I know I sent it to you, Mark. And this is interesting because um, the the gentleman Charles C. Bonney, who was the Parliament of the World's Religions organizer in at the eighteen ninety three Parliament, uh, was a really important figure whose name was circulating as a potential candidate for the U.S. Supreme Court. He was uh, very involved in in the, in the U.S. legal system, and he specifically supported the creation of a permanent international court of justice and a system of rural law, as he described it, as a bond of union. And then when the Colombian Exposition uh, was being hashed out, what this would look like, how it would be structured, Bonnie, uh, in his original proposal attached to the Colombian Exposition, he made sure that his perspective would be universal. So this is the way he wrote, a parliament of nations, 
that would surpass all previous efforts to bring about a real fraternity of nations and unite the people of the whole earth in a general cooperation for the attainment of the great ends for which human society is organized. Uh, no surprise, Tennyson's Parliament of Man was uh, one of the unofficial mottos, uh, that famous poem of his, uh, of, of a, the coming world parliament was one of the, the, the unofficial mottos of the 1893 uh, event. And so with Bonnie's statement that the purpose of the parliament at the Columbian Exposition would be to create a parliament of nations, that same milieu, that same stream of thinking uh, runs now into the social gospel movement, into uh, American Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran circles, and uh, it emerges in in some of the committees and in certainly some of the discussion groups around the creation of the League to Enforce Peace, and then the League of nations itself, including some very important carryover personalities like Frederick Lynch, um, who acts as a bridge between the parliament and the, the League of Nations through the Federal Council of Churches and through Andrew Carnegie. So uh, I, I'm working on bringing all this together and trying to find all, all the different connecting points, uh, but there's a lot of bridges and a lot of, a lot of things to, to, to work through to that end. Uh, it's a really interesting history. Because, Dan, the, the key thing is this is where, the again, the film The Enemies Within the Church comes into me because it's that whole thing of the New Age. And then when, as Carl talked about this, I think the guy Richard Raw, you know, there he is, and with a few other mates pushing psychedelic drugs for people to have an experience with God. I mean, I just, I mean, I'm just horrified. I thought we dealt with that and all that lunacy under Woodstock. I mean, these people are, in my opinion, utterly and utterly deranged. But it's this liberal progressivism of saying, right, we have to change everything on earth on behalf of God. Carl alluded to, said this at the beginning. We, we have to change all this. And then what we do is when we think it's good enough in our image, not, not in, not, it's got nothing to do with God and God's image. Then what we do, we get on the back phone, so to speak, and we phone him up and say, this is what we've done on your behalf and you'll just have to get over it and it's a bit like the, <laughs> a bit like the whole the bit like the whole emerging church movement massive postmodernism redefining every single belief mm -hmm. going and just quickly these these are the tie-ups and people have got to pay attention if you destroy and I, and I would and I would say to you that sadly right now America is not as free as maybe Americans think it is. Not even at all. <laughs> precisely. Thank you for and saying that. And as a matter of fact, I have to tell you, I get a lot of crap for playing the, the lead-in song that we do about we know we're free, when in fact, I don't think most of us really do believe that anymore, but that should be the foundation of where we want to go. Right. It's very interesting. It's very interesting, and and I, I actually honour your bravery in saying that, because actually that has something that has struck me in that song. Even though I find that song, your opening song, very very emotional, because I know what it represents. But sadly, I just feel it is not 
like that now or at this moment and i just look at all the three letter agencies and just quickly as we've got an american a canadian and a brit on the on the line again and what a privilege it is just quickly we look at Jan 6. We look at the FBI interference of that. We have got the court case this week, this again going on at the moment of dear Tamara uh, Leak and, uh, and uh, Chris Barber. And again, the FBI interference in that giving the, um, the Canadian government uh, information, etc., and then people having their bank accounts shut down and all this. You brought this up, Carl, in regard to the UN, and there they are all meeting. Suddenly, isn't it interesting that I think Prince William may find himself in that area as well? But they're not going to discuss that, are they? But like son, like father, who then may be at times, I could be wrong, using Britannia to have have meetings with, with world leaders and push his climate change agenda. This is what's going on. That's why that conference in, in Canada recently, tying all of this up, and then suddenly we as a nation are looking at what? We might have to take in 120,000 immigrants from the EU is if, uh, if Starmer then becomes, uh, Starmer then becomes uh, our prime minister. We're looking at the Canadian government. I can't think of the individual where he's just gone off to China. There's a meeting he's having with the CCP. What is going on? We see all this manipulation, Dan, going on. And that's why it's such a privilege for me with two dear friends that I've seen recently to have this discussion and to try and educate people and ask people to come up and take the intellectual challenge to understand what fundamentally is going on and what conversations are going on and the direction that we are going in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, incidentally, and, and uh, Carl, I want to give you the last uh, last word here, but uh, MK Ultra. <laughs> let's let's bring. You know, they're talking all these psychedelic drugs and how this is going to get us connected better with God and all this nonsense. MK Ultra, the CIA mind control. It was all about LSD. It was all about. Uh, German experiments that were conducted in the concentration camps in World War II to control people's minds. That is what's at the bottom of all this. Okay, Carl, please. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because MK, MK Ultra, of course, uh, in a, whether it was planned or inadvertent, ended up unleashing the psychedelic culture that we understand today uh brings us and the psychedelic culture of course ends up bringing us back around to this feeling that we can all become one and this sense of we can look at a, at a new social system we can we can design a, a new social order built around pharmacia but it really boils down to again that same thing doesn't it that we will we're going to look for heaven on earth now we're just we're either going to do it externally through our politics or internally through our psychedelics. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up really quickly with a quote from the 1893 Parliament because it really fits I think the entire framework of of all of this what we've just been discussing. 
So here it is. Here's a, a, a statement from that parliament. The religion of the future will be universal in every sense. It will embody all the thoughts and aspiration and virtue and emotion of all humanity. It will draw together all lands and peoples and kindreds and tongues into a universal brotherhood of love and service. It will establish upon earth a heavenly order. And that is what we have been pursuing ever since, whether it's through psychedelics or through the institutions of, of globalism. We are the ones who say we will build our own order right here. Uh, we will build Babel in our own image and we will shake our fist. I mean, my goodness, the, the title of my book is Game of Gods, specifically because those are the games that we have been playing as we assert that we can be the gods of our own lives. Well, I have to do a plug for your book because it's a fascinating read and so incredibly well-researched. And uh, Mark, I also want to do a little plug for you because uh, Mark is an uh, internationally recognized film producer. He's been uh, involved in the Liberty Movement for a long time. He is a former educator uh, in the U.K., and he is someone who also has an incredible gift to communicate. You both do. This is exactly why I was so thrilled to have you both on today. Well, Dan, th thank you so much. Thank you for your, your words of encouragement, and uh, thanks for letting us on your show. Oh, yeah, Dan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for embarrassing me with your kind words. I don't recognize that person. But one thing I will say, let's get this conference off the ground you know, let's discuss these mm -hmm. issues and get this off the ground. But, but thank you. It's been, uh, it's been quite an amazing birthday present to me today. So thank you very much, guys. Well, and on behalf of all of your friends all over the world, and certainly your, uh, your friends with this show, uh, happy birthday. I will, not, uh, I will not ask how many, but I will say that uh, you, you seem to get... Uh, more uh, younger and more dynamic by the day. Hey, Dan. <laughs> There's something I do for people's birthdays on my show, if you mind. Go ahead. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mr. Mark Sutherland. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Thank you, Topper. Thank you, Topper. That meant a lot. That meant a lot, my dear friend. Thank you. Thank you for all you do in the background. It means a lot Amen. to all of us. Amen. I mean, uh, there there is a very definite reason why I have such an incredible amount of respect and admiration for Thumper. And incidentally, uh, he's been to several world fairs and uh, world events himself, uh, and that was in the chat line. So nice. Excellent. Nice. All right. Well, I'll have to jump off, gentlemen. But uh, again, thank you so much. And Mark, have a good birthday. Love you, man. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas Oh, from sea to shining sea
from Detroit down to Houston, New York to L.A., where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say.